0: Welcome to Between Two Chairs, demystifying commercial real estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arancibia Jr. and Jennifer Wollman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between two chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us.
1: Hello again. It feels like it's been a while and it hasn't, but (laughs) it feels like it's been a while. (laughs) It really, it really does. It really does. I'm totally with you. So today our episode is about. FIOBSI, which is also known as
0: what the international... It, it, has a, it has a French name, but in essence what it is, it's an organization that's been around for over 73 years that um, is an international real estate organization that networks, creates an international global network of not only real estate practitioners, um, that are brokers and agents and practice in that end, but any anything related in the ecosystem of real estate uh, internationally. Right, so it's basically known as the International
1: Real Estate Federation. There you go. But if you break down the letters, it doesn't, It doesn't match. So, but anyway, the International Real Estate Federation. And what I like about this whole concept is the fact that we're always talking about whether you're an investor or you're an agent or a brokerage is creating your team. And this is basically a federation, an international federation of every single team member you could possibly want in the real estate industry whether it's an accountant or a mechanic Um, when we just had the recent congress here i met an international elevator installation company which is great if you're doing new construction so i love the fact that basically membership in this organization is your international team of real estate experts
0: yeah I, I also love the fact that the president of, the, of this International Federation this year is from the United States, he's from Manhattan, from New York, and so um, I love the fact that it was hosted here in the United States for the first time in over 25 years, and that it actually was hosted in Miami, Uh, by the great work of the Miami Association of Realtors in partnership with this international federation. And so, you know, it was, uh, you know, quite the experience, I think, to have this international congress that happens every year all around the world. Last year was in Paris, and that not only is coming, it came to America for the first time in so many years. Where else in America would use this conference than in, you know, (laughs)
1: <laughs> than in Miami. In Miami. Exactly. Well, we've long been known as the gateway to the Americas, and now we're becoming known as the gateway to the world. So it, it makes sense that it would be held in Miami, especially since yeah. everybody right now is, you know, has their eye on Miami for a variety Absolutely. of different reasons.
0: Absolutely
1: with you know the number of multinational companies we have here, yeah. our international airport rates, number one and two for cargo and passengers. Our ports are, I think, the top ports in the country for international cargo. So it makes sense that yeah. if you're gonna host an international federation that, and you're
0: hosting it in the U.S., that it's here in Miami. Absolutely. You know, we, we call it the global city of the future, you know, for a reason, and there, there's there's a lot of, I think a lot of the presentations conveyed very much that message. Right, and you
1: got to share the stage. You got to interview Jeb Bush. What what an yeah. amazing
0: honor and what an amazing human. And yeah, no, it was uh, really an incredible experience, never in my wildest dreams that I think that I would be interviewing Two-time governor of the state of Florida, son of a president of the United States, brother of a president of the United States, someone that has had, uh, you know, really a, a big influence in Miami specifically and South Florida real estate, um, you know, with his earlier work and and then of course all of the big transformative ideas that he implemented during his his tenure as governor of the state of Florida. So, yeah, it was it was quite an incredible uh, you know experience and. I will say to your point about you know what an incredible human. In preparation for this, you know I was I was asked to do this two months ago, and so I read a lot, I, I listened to a lot of the work of Jeb Bush, and definitely there there were a lot of things that pleasantly surprised me about his mindset and his approach, and I, I certainly learned a lot during the <laughs> during the research, and then of course it was just you know uh, an incredible experience to share that stage with him. And he's the
1: perfect example, I think, of a Miami resident, right? So he's not, he wasn't born here. Right. He wasn't raised here. Yeah. He's married to a Mexican woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it was time for him to settle down with his family, yeah. he couldn't think of a better place than Miami because yeah. of its culturally diverse and multinational flair, he felt like everybody would fit in here and he has you know adopted the city like heart and soul and uh... To your point he's made a good impact on on the community an incredible impact on the not only the local community but the state yeah and uh i think his family is indicative of the types of families that are that are in miami and
0: um you know most of them foreign born and i think it's incredible i i think that this is all part of the american story and of the american dream and and the diversity of those stories and of those dreams right and you know, what I find really interesting is, you know, here you have a young man who uh, who goes over to Leon, Mexico to work. He, you know, from Texas, and uh, falls in love with a lovely woman and decides that this is the woman that he wants to marry and wants to build a family with. And uh, the fact that they have two kids the kids are raised in, in León, Mexico. Now it's time for them to you know, head back uh, to the U.S. And in his mind, what he's thinking is, my kids uh, are now fluent in English. You know, my kids have only you know, learned to speak Spanish, and I want to find a place where um, I could bring him and that the transition would be smoother. Right. And so he says, I'll go to Miami because not only my wife's family is from there, but more importantly, it is a a place that is open and welcoming to being bicultural and bilingual. And that this is where they're going to learn English. This is where they're going to, you know, basically, you know, (laughs) learn to be American. And And I thought that there was there was something really magical about that, you know, that. Uh, CEO of the Miami Association of Realtors, uh, you know, Teresa Kinkinney, you know, we we, uh, affectionately call her TK. You know, she does those that presentation on the stats of Miami and you know we're the number one foreign-born city in America and I think that there's something powerful and, and he alluded to that there's something powerful about that and and that uh, that adds to the allure of Miami
1: right and I know the majority of the people are from the Caribbean Central and South America but in the last decade we've seen an increasing number of Europeans um, also moving over here and making Miami home and that's why we have all of the great macaroon shops and French bakeries and we right. have a lot of better wine. Uh, better wine. Well, no, I can't say better wine. Really. We've always, had, We've good always wine. had good wine. We've okay. always had good okay. wine. Come on. We have a lot of wines from Argentina, <laughs> from California, so yeah. um but yes, it's it's definitely a growing international yeah. community and it's so exciting. I've just seen it when I moved from California 30 something years ago. I remember the food options here were kind of limited. Right? Yeah. There was Cuban and there was like yeah. American fast food, but there wasn't a lot of Chinese food. There wasn't a lot of Mediterranean right. food. Absolutely. And coming from San Francisco, which was such a, a culturally rich city food-wise, right? you know, I was like, oh my gosh, we're lacking. And I can honestly say we're lacking no more. And we're actually yeah. one of the top foodie destinations That's now right. in the United States. And you can find just about any kind of
0: food here yeah. no. and, I, and I thought the, the you know I think that the, the what was really poignant is you know last year having uh, you know the the Michelin stars starting to be handed out to right. our restaurants and the bib gourmand and you know a, a lot of great and and many that were born and raised here concepts that were created here first and were uh, were not necessarily transplanted but it was created out of the flavor of the of the culture that was a, a you know Uh, An incredible moment, I think, for food and beverage industry in South Florida. Agreed, agreed.
1: So back to the World Congress that we had here. There were, what, over 400 and something countries represented. And uh, I met a lot of people I met. There was a big contingent from Georgia, from the country of Georgia. There was a huge contingent from
0: India who else? Who else did you meet? We we had uh, so uh, there were uh, over 432 delegates from 32 countries, pretty much around the world was uh, was was represented. Um, this is such a diverse and international federation that. You know, for example, next year's conference will be in Singapore and, you know, they had, um, you know, two years ago it was Angora and then they went to, you know, Paris and and, and this year in Miami. So I met uh, people from Ukraine. Uh, I met people from definitely the, the group from Georgia was a, a large, you know, group. The Philippines, uh, Singapore, Thailand, uh, Austria. Uh, there was a, a nice contingency from Austria, you know, had some great conversations. Brazil. Uh, you know venezuela you know we we had really a contingency from from all around the world and what i found really um, impactful is the relationships that all of them have with each other you know they've been around together for a long time and they really have found ways to do business with each other the thing that i enjoy the most about the way that they structure the the conference is what happens in the last two days in which they always have a social component because they want to get a little bit of the flavor of wherever they're at, but then they have more importantly um, an actual get down and dirty with 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 the, with a marketplace. You know, they have a tour, they want to tour properties, they want to really understand the real estate market from a tangible boots on the ground perspective, and I think that that is incredibly valuable because oftentimes, how many times have we gone to conferences and we never leave the hotel or leave. The, the convention center. I think that that is a lesson for a lot of conferences around the country and around the world that it is important especially in real estate to have boots on the ground and to have that experience to go and visit different places. Large mass of groups got into buses and went around and, and visited different projects and I thought that that was uh, you know, I think that that's that's a lesson.
1: Well, I think it's a lesson to attendees too because most of the conferences that the Realtor Association puts on does have either before or after market tours, but most of us don't stay because we've already been there a week. So we don't take advantage of really getting in to know that market. And that is a shame, that's a loss because we're there with all of the knowledge, but sometimes seeing things that are done in, in an area that are done differently, yeah. you get a better view of something that you could take back that might work yeah. well at home. And yeah, they did a Miami River tour. What was super interesting is the Indian group that I seemed to, for whatever reason, we ended up sitting at the same tables <laughs> over and over again, so it was nice to get to know them over the couple of days, was they're a fairly large investment group. And um, I thought, oh, they were just coming here really to come for the Congress and to meet their you know their peers and everything else but they're actively investing and looking in florida in general but miami in specific and they own a lot of multifamily. and when i asked i said well do you own any in miami and they said not yet but they own a lot in london and they felt like this was the next big place Natural. that they wanted to be and I'm like really like from London to Miami you know talk about yeah. jumping over the pond but yeah. so I thought that was very interesting that they were actively looking for multifamily and yeah. they have been they have been around for a long time and this they felt like the timing was right to come here so I think that's interesting given what we're seeing in the national market and how, because of the interest rate hikes and and everything, deal flow has slowed because Mm -hmm. Capital has slowed down, yeah. but there is still a huge, huge demand from the international community
0: looking at very specific markets. Yeah. So, why well, I, I find that interesting that you mentioned London because I remember if this is even before the pandemic. Um, when prices started to increase, there was a move of price appreciation. You know, many years past the, the you know the mortgage crisis. People would say, "Well, you know, when you're looking at these prices, how is it that people, uh, how is it that people are still buying, right?" Because uh, oftentimes, from a local perspective, we we're prisoners of our our own historical, you know, knowledge of where prices are. But um, I remember looking at a study that said that prices in Miami were six times less expensive than they were in in london for example so when you saw you know a lot of that investment coming from the uk and we do have a lot of investment from uk and in south florida it just makes all the sense in the world that, that was an interesting dynamic i'm sure they're going to find the multifamily here in miami uh you know a bargain compared to london
1: <laughs> yeah based on the rents my son's paying in london i would agree <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of interesting because Fiabsi does have a a link also with Miami, right? That that kind of goes back really far with Kenneth Kais. And Kenneth Kais was the founder of the Kais Company, and he was president of the Miami Association in 1941. And he received the Medal of Honor from Fiabsi in 1963. So talk about... somebody who gave a huge amount to right. not only his local community, but the international real estate yeah. industry as well to have been recognized and been yeah. a
0: part of Fiopsi pretty much since its founding. Yeah. Things really just tickle me completely because they found this company in 1943. In 1963, they're you know they're involved internationally. They're bringing people to Miami, and I often think about those 20-year that 20-year period where Miami was at that at that stage. You know, it's almost like you're you know you're not ready for prime time, but it takes so many people that build it up in order to get to where we are and when you see the response from the people that came at this uh, you know federation and at this congress so overwhelmingly positive i mean they were just so happy to be here and they they really saw a lot of value not only in the location but in the caliber and the quality of the presentation so i thought that there was a lot of positives to be around but kudos to um to all of those that came before us to build this ecosystem in which now we're seeing a thriving Miami and a growing Miami. And you know, hopefully we also get to put a little bit, a bit of our imprint in that fabric of, of our city and the growth of our city for another hundred years. On well, the interconnectivity is something that just, I love,
1: right? I love yeah. the fact that the world is the global marketplace. So yeah. you're, you're basically, limited by, I don't know what you're limited by, your imagination, I guess, because you really can go anywhere. And I I think of how far some of these people traveled. I kept trying to see like, well, who traveled the farthest and the fact that Miami is such an international airport, we have like 144 direct flights with nonstops, which is one of the things that yeah. I love because I love to travel, but yeah. I hate the layovers and the waiting because it takes a long trip right. and makes it like really, really yeah. long, unless it's a long trip to begin with, in which case I like <laughs> stopping halfway because you the do. thought of being on a plane you for too long. Stop, yeah. yeah, but uh, but anyway, so I think that that interconnectivity and, and yeah. the, the ease that it is to fly, you know, we have the direct flights from Dubai now, and right. we're trying to get direct yeah. flights from, I think, China and Japan, and once we do, that market's gonna open up significantly, so.
0: I think that that's that's really exciting. I also want to say that, you know, I want to give kudos because they're, there is and we'll, we'll put the link but there's a resource page of all the presentations and a lot of the videos and so had there, there was a lot of good information that was shared so one of them is Anna uh, Bosovic of Analytics Miami you know uh, presented on this idea of predicting the future follow the money but I, I, I love the the way that she presents information by taking this macro view and then seeing macro forces and then looking micro and seeing how those forces are interacting with our local market and you know this idea of looking at COVID as a grand accelerator of trends we already spoke about but look at this idea she says that the pandemic has accelerated us into the future that is built around the internet you know I know we heard Gunnar Branson with a fire talk about uh, how the office market is pretty much in bad shape all around the country except in Miami and he says that you know for some reason people don't want to go to work uh, 20 degree weather (laughs) but they love they they Still go to work here in Miami, and it's the environment that is created. So, I, I thought that that was a really interesting concept. Did you Did you have any thoughts on that? On this idea of having a world or the future that is built around the internet?
1: Well, I think we've been there for for a while now. Yes. Um, you know, before COVID, we were already there. That's why everyone kept saying, oh, retail's dead, retail's dead, you know, because everyone was shopping on the internet. But the reality is that the internet is just becoming more integrated in our life. It's not taking over, I don't believe. And I I think it's just shifted and facilitated how we do business and research and everything else. But in reality, I still believe in the I don't know the boots on the ground the physical like you can do a lot of research on the internet and but there's nothing that beats the research of the physical going like i can i can pretty much tour to our point where we're talking about london i can tour all of london with google earth and walking and virtual you know goggles and everything else but the experience of physically being there and walking the streets and the feeling the emotional ties the smell the, the yeah. fact that you're engaging all of your senses that's something that the internet and and virtual reality is trying yeah. to get to but for me and maybe it's just my age and the decade yeah. that i was born it's not there yet, right? Like there's something about engaging all of the senses yeah. and meeting these people in person. You could have probably done a lot of these presentations virtually, right? But yeah. what would it have taken away from being in the room and seeing people's reactions and yeah. talking to the people at the table and getting right. their feedback and hearing kind of the bzz, 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 yeah. you know the buzzing in the background when yeah. a point was made that people either agreed or disagreed with. So I do believe that the internet is, it has, you know, accelerated life in general. But um, I still think every now and then we need to take a step back and.
0: I do find that interesting that um, there has been, especially I think when we go and see presentations about updates on commercial real estate, that I think that there's a, a faction of people that believe that. You know, somehow the effects of the pandemic were going to be limited to that timeline. You know, and that as further away we get away from 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 the the, the pandemic, that somehow there's going to be some sort of uh, return to normal. You know, or, or return to to the way things were in some aspects and i think that there's another group that is basically clearly stating we will never be the same right and we have to adapt and it doesn't mean that it is you know that it is worse or better it just means that it is different and so you know whether you are building office or dealing with you know, the realities of handling retail, you have to realize that it is a changed world. And I think that that is uh, very clear when you look at not only this conference, but other conferences and how many um, sessions were about AI. Mm-hmm. Or about augmented reality, or about all those things. So, you know that that seems to be the, the topic, the jury is the thing that we're most interesting about. And you know we had our chairwoman uh, of the board, Ines hegedes Garcia, make a presentation on on AI and on the usability of AI. And you know she has this phrase, which I think is very important about that AI is not going to replace um, the agent, right? but the agents that use AI are gonna replace the agents that don't use AI. And so this, this component I thought was very interesting. And if there was one really interesting dynamic idea that I saw from Jeb Bush in our conversation is this idea. And I thought, I, I wanna share it here because I think it's such a smart thing to, to, to understand. And it, and what he says is that the world is moving at such a warp speed, right? And The disruption that is created by the combination of automation, the um, explosion of AI and the rapid advancement of technology has led to a disruptive political system. And so what he's saying is that when we find ourselves in the middle of a disruptive political system, we got to look at how the world has shifted and how... How difficult it is to really adapt to those changes. Sometimes you want to like call time out and say, okay, can we slow down until we analyze the effects of this, you know, technological advancement and AI and its, you know, ethical concerns and a lot of other stuff. But the growth is exponential, technology-wise, and we always have to realize that that creates disruption, and that that kind of disruption affects all aspects of society, including politically. So I thought that that was. I thought that was a really smart thing versus just saying, well you know you have two groups that are diametrically opposed to each other. I think it's more of you know the environment in which we're in.
1: yeah, so I have a bunch of thoughts on that so yeah. so the world's always been changing right it, sure. there change is inevitable it's yeah. It's just how we react to it and and I think. The world was already changing before the pandemic. We already had the internet, we already had AI. AI has been around actually for quite some time. Um, It just is becoming more and more mainstream. So I think change has always been around. What's interesting now is that because information is so readily available with the internet, and because AI, for better or worse, can be used for good or evil. Right. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of, it's harder to find facts, I think, because you can search the internet and find something that states ABC. And then you can find another piece that says, no, this is not true. It's this. And right. and, and so it's even though it's easier to fact check, it's also harder to fact check. Right. And, and I think what's harder to fact check is some of the social media and where we get our information from and what the source is. You know, we always mm. say, go to the source. Don't go four, five, six down because it's almost like the game of telephone when we were kids, right. where <laughs> the first person says yeah. one thing and by the time it got to the end of the circle, it was something totally different. Right. And, and I think that's part of what... Jeb Bush was alluding to in terms of the disruptive political system and, and all of this changes. What's true? What's not true? What's Uh. perception versus reality? And, And I think that that's the hard part that we're going through right now. But Change has always happened rapidly. I mean, you think about yeah. the industrialization, you're you're a history buff. Just think about how fast all of that happened. Yeah. And then the politics, hmm. the government, and the policies mm-hmm. had to go back and start regulating all of this change. But you don't so stop innovation, right? You let the right. innovation happen. Right. Because it's going to happen anyway, yeah. because innovators innovate, and yeah. and innovation Hen- is always disruptive. Hence right?
0: the term growing pains, right? Exactly. They're always going to go through that. And then
1: you have to go back. Yeah. So now you know, governments are going back and saying, whoa, 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 let's yeah. look at the internet, let's look at social media, let's look at AI, yeah. what needs to be regulated to try to keep it somewhat yeah. in check so that... The, the bad yeah. opportunities aren't breeding and taking over all of the yeah. good qualities that this brings to yeah. the world in general. So.
0: And, I, and I think that this is one of the reasons why I have a hard time accepting that the role of the agent and the interpersonal relationships are are ever going to go away, that that is somehow going to lessen in value. I think if anything, is going to increase in value because, number one, I think with all of the, the data that we have, what we miss is perspective. What we miss is in the analysis. That's really where the where the sweet spot is. And that's why when we speak to agents, we always say there's nothing more powerful than being a hyper-local agent because it requires a, a human mind to look at an area and to really break down that, that data and then hence provide the maximum value to our clients. And I remember when we were going through the pandemic, there were people that were saying, well, we are going to shake hands. We're never going to hug. We're never going to kiss each other. We're never going to, you know, do that. (laughs) 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 That is so true. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely are warm, you know, people. We like hugs. But I think that that is, it's a human need. And I've thought about this so much lately when I speak to my clients that when you get involved in all this tech and you get all these phone calls and you're getting people that are trying to fish for your information and steal your identity and you're dealing all that stuff. I think at some point you want that with the quality of that human contact to be able to look somebody in the eye and to see exactly that they are for real and that this is a person that you want to do business with and I, and I think that that's an important lesson in all of this that when when you bring it down to its basic endeavor and we always say you want to do business with people you know and trust and that part of that building of the trust is in that face-to-face, is in that interaction, is in that human connection.
1: Well, think of all of the changes we've had in the real estate industry where they're like, oh, this is the death knell for realtors. They're going to, yeah. you know, one was the internet, right? Yeah. Then it was the online search portals that yeah. anyone could search. And then it was the MLS, and then yeah. it would like there. There's always no. something that's gonna just like it's <laughs> gonna kill retail. It's yeah. gonna kill the the realtor. But to so your true. point, there is still that human need for interaction and for yeah. experience. And to your point about the real estate agents' insights, yeah. that's important. That's something you don't get on the on the internet, right? You can get yeah. a bunch of different opinions. You can get different processes yeah. or how you go about buying or selling you can get all of that but yeah. in terms of the hyper hyper local you can get individual data but you can't really get the connectivity of that data without right. an expert who lives and works yeah. in that area yeah. Um, So especially if you haven't visited there and you're going yeah. into a new market.
0: And so. in- interestingly, because you spoke about the Kais company, I I once heard Mike Pappas speak about, um, you know, when the iBuyer programs were coming out and, you know, there was a lot of concern. I remember him breaking down everything he had seen during his 30 plus year career. And he goes like, when this came out, everybody said this was going to be the end. And then this came out and everybody says it was going to be the end. And, and there is something about steady, consistency wins the race, right? Yeah. Stick to your to your values, right? Stick to what is important to you. Stick to always providing value first and you will have longevity. And, you know, if you have that long-term view and you provide those things and you have the right values, then that provides for a long, long career. And
1: Right. And at the end of the day, the agent and the relationship that the agents have with not only their customers, but with their Mm -hmm. community is what I think ensures the longevity of the agent in a transaction. Um, Just To that point, look at all the work that we do as the Miami Realtors for our community. Look at all of the grants we've given. You know, we've participated in a portion of the underline. We've created boat ramps. We've created dog parks. We've created universally accessible playgrounds so that everybody can enjoy being outside and in a playground. And that sense of creating community and that human need to do better and improve, I think is, is kind of at the heart of maybe what Mike was getting at, you know, that that we're embedded, we're embedded, not just in a transaction, we're embedded in the community.
0: Yeah. And I find, I I find that interesting because we also had, um, the presentation by Cred Stucknicki of, you know, when he he does his Miami report, which is always wonderful. And he speaks about there's one hundred and thirty four companies that have Fortune 500 and plus companies that have moved to, to Miami. I mean, not not all of them are Fortune 500 companies, but, you know, we have one hundred and thirty four major companies that have moved to Miami. And you start to think about all of those employees uh, that are coming in to add to the fabric of our culture, and the fact that for the first time, Florida surpassed New York in as far as the the number of jobs, which is you know an incredible thing. And we we definitely are at a crossroad where we're going to have to deal with a lot of those growing pains and to deal with them effectively. And I'm I'm happy that I think I can say this confidently that the The realtor industry and profession is going to be a big part of those changes and of you know and of that adaption and and I think that that's something where beyond our work to help someone you know acquire an investment property or 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 relocate or work more efficiently, et cetera et cetera, we have an an opportunity to add to the fabric of our community and I think that that is I think that that's fantastic agreed, you know.
1: So do you have a fun so, fact or a fun stat? I,
0: do, I You know, I was thinking about this because I'm always impressed by the fact that we had people from 32 separate countries and they all spoke English, right? Yeah. And so, how powerful it is to, you know, that English is such an important language, you know. And I've I've often heard that that number was changing, but I I, I don't think it has. So I saw this. This comes from uh, uh, Elliot Eisenberg, uh, the bowtie tie mm-hmm. economist. Yeah and uh you know we love his little i think so he goes by scanning publicly available websites the most popular language on the internet is english with 55.6 percent of domains using it russian is second most popular language at five percent then spanish at 4.9 percent, german at 4.3 french at 4.2 japanese at 3.6 turkish at 2.4 then portuguese at 2.3 percent and italian at 1.9 percent uh and then of course the Chinese language websites are about 1.4 percent of the domain I thought that that was really interesting because I know from history that language is a very big component of the permanence and the predominance of culture and I think that it is really incredible how exportable the language of English is and how again everyone that we met was proficient in it and yeah. and they they carried business in English so well,
1: it's it is the language of business right yeah so so, true. so this whole episode has pretty much been about international and international networks and we're such an international city that i thought i'd quote some of the stats from the beacon council so according to the beacon council miami is the second largest banking center in the us and we mm-hmm. have the second highest number of consulates and trade center offices so number two, number two, but we are number one. Miami was ranked among the top world cities by the Globalization and World mm-hmm. Cities Research Network for connectivity through four advanced producer services, which are business indicators for, mm-hmm. for international business. And it was accounting, advertising, banking, finance, and law. So I thought that was interesting. Wow. Yeah, that, We're that one is... of the top cities for those four international services.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. I think I think we're only we're only behind, you know, uh, New York City as it comes to bank banking and finance, uh, you know, Correct. as industries, Correct. which is incredible. And I think that, if I may add, I think what adds to it and this idea of us connecting to the rest of the world is that fifty four percent of our workforce is foreign born, mm-hmm. and our workforce speaks over a hundred. You know, they come from over a hundred countries, uh, and seventy five percent of our residents speak a language other than English at home. So, right. uh, you know, that's that again just adds to to that component.
1: And we have over a thousand multinationals in Miami alone. I mean, wow. that's yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah. In Miami,
0: too. Well, welcome one and welcome all. We're yeah. we're ready for you. To Miami. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'll feel right at home. Yeah, for sure.
1: Till next time.
0: Till next time. Thank you guys for joining us.